talking Dice Masters, the beauty of the underlying mechanics, the hidden complexities, and the strategy, tactics, and decisions of competitive play. If you're just starting the game or have been here since the first set, hopefully you'll find something in this show that'll do you some good. So shake up your bag, reconnoiter your opponent, and get ready to roll. And if you're sick of lockdowns, we're doling out the opposite in this episode. Let's call it All About Aggro. First off, though, our thoughts go out to everyone out there who's not feeling well or who has lost a loved one in the pandemic. Having not gone out much in the past few weeks, there's a strange sense of time drift for me. But for those of you with jobs that have you out dealing with the health crisis every day, people like Mike Trias in our own Dice Masters community, I just want to take a moment to say thank you. Yeah, for as much as it seems like not a lot's going on for us personally, there's a lot of Dice Masters news out there for us to report. You're right there. The irony, of course, is that because no one's driving around much these days, I'm not sure anyone's going to be tuning into this podcast of ours. Yeah, we might be spitting into the wind. Nonetheless, (laughs) here are the events of the past couple weeks. Yeah. First off, I should report that we have other Dice Masters podcasts joining this podcasting pond of ours. Kim and Jocelyn from DM North recently released their third third episode of a Double Double in Dice podcast. See our show notes for a link to that at rollandthunder.xyz forward slash 211 for season two, episode 11, no apostrophe, no G. And we'd also like to welcome the new Dice Masters United podcast to the airwaves, brought to you by Spug, James Bloor, Peter Vandevelda, and Benside Scott. Maybe this will finally give us the cover to exit stage left, my friend. Sure, but WizKids also made a handful of other important announcements. The first being that they're probably not going to be at Origins this year, and that the National Championship won't be happening there. Yeah, and also they announced that they won't be coming to the UK Games Expo either. So if you've made plans to attend Origins or the UK Games Expo, don't forget to cancel your hotel and plane reservations. They also made some announcements about OP kits being put on hold, and that they're still fulfilling product replacements, but that it's a bit delayed because of the COVID-19 situation. But it hasn't all been bad news. We've had at least a few spoilers to take a look at. Jimmy spoiled five new cards from the upcoming Dark Phoenix set, including a new Cyclops with Founder, which I guess is going to work kind of like alignment in the D&D sets, a bishop that can't be spun, and a crazy fourth wall breaking Deadpool. Yeah, Deadpool's going to be fun. You want to read it? Uh, Sure. Deadpool, number one draft pick. Yes, that is the subtitle. (laughs) If this game is in the draft format, at the start of the game, pick a card on your team. That card costs one less to purchase this game. I hope the other versions of him are similarly themed. Yeah, I love it. Also, True Mr. Six introduced not only a nice new website redesign for his Brit Roller 6 blog, but foregrounded a card that was spoiled a few weeks back at the New York Toy Fair. The six-cost super rare Master Mold, which reads... When fielded, when Master Mold attacks, or when Master Mold is KO'd, place a Sentinel token with five attack and five defense into the field zone. Mm -hmm. So you could actually field (laughs) three of those in one turn with one Master Mold. If you had two Master Molds, you could field six. If you found a way... No, you know what you could do? With, With momentum, you could field him, KO him, roll him back in field him again 
attack with him and KO him to field five Sentinels <laughs> in one turn. Be yeah. whack. If he could do something with some super KO clear the board effects too, it could be super nasty. Anyway, if you weren't convinced tokens are a thing, get ready for some more token hijinks, folks. You can find links to those spoilers in the show notes at... RollingThunder.xyz forward slash 211. We should also mention that Truby updated the draft pack generator on the Dice Coalition site to include the WWE set. So, if you're looking to do some tabletop cube drafting, have at it. Wait, breaking news. Thanks to Troy's Rules Question Facebook post, not to mention his gentle nudging, a slew of new rulings and answers to some of our most pressing questions has been posted to the WizKids Rules Forum. First up was Yort's question about mankind. Yort wrote, Mankind, the hardcore legend states, While Mankind is active, whenever your opponent preps one or more dice outside of their clear and draw step, you may prep a die from your bag. There has been some debate over whether this ability triggers only on things that use the word prep, such as the new tagout keyword or the basic action into battle, or whether it works on any ability that puts dice into your prep area other than KO, of course, such as Becky Lynch's global or the Supreme Intelligence. For further comparison, Professor X's global says, Prep two dice, whereas the new Walk with Elias global says add two sidekick dice. Secondarily, the assumption is that if each player had a Mankind, they would trigger off each other until either a player elected not to prep a die, or they ran out of dice to prep, and it would not qualify as an infinite loop. And they said, anything that sends a die to prep counts as prepping a die. DM rules team, right? I should mention that Jimmy clarified on Facebook that this doesn't count for things getting KO'd. There are two ways dice get into the prep area. Number one things getting KO'd, and number two, dice getting prepped. And it's only number two that Mankind triggers off of. The second ruling was from Jocelyn with the DM North team regarding Obscure. Jocelyn wrote, Hello, the new keyword Obscure reads, Obscure, when you use an action die, this character is unblockable until the end of turn. There has been some conversation since it says this character and not this character die. If I had an Obscure character active and then used an action die to trigger Obscure, and then feel that a second copy of the same obscure character would both dice be unblockable in this case. Thank you. As worded, all dice of that character would be unblockable. If a judge were to rule otherwise under the weaker interpretation theory, we would understand. But unless an alternative ruling is made, please treat it as this character and not this character die, the DM rules team. So that's interesting and more powerful than we've been playing it to this point. The third rules forum ruling was an answer to a tagout question from Reg up in the Great White North. He asked, If I pushed with all four of my characters, one would be unblocked. Would I then be able to tag out the other three blocked characters and add plus six attack, plus six defense to my unblocked die? And they said, Yes, if you attacked with all four characters, you could have three of them tag out to give the unblocked character plus six attack, plus six defense. And finally, Laurier asked about the Lawler Global with the double overcrushing Thanos. He wanted to know if, quote, I attack with level three Thanos, 9A, 9D, who is only blocked by a level three Shriek who has 3A, 3D. I use Jerry Lawler's Global to double Thanos damage. Assuming no other ability affects damage, how much damage does Thanos deal my opponent with overcrush? Option one, 30. Thanos deals 18 damage to Shriek and would deal 15 damage to my opponent due to Overcrush, but that damage is then doubled to 30 by Thanos' effect. Option 2. 15. Same scenario, but the double damage effects don't stack. 3. Another response. Thank you for your time. The DM rules team then pointed him to an old Wolverine, the best there is ruling, that basically confirmed it's number one. 
double and doubled again. Ouch. But if that wasn't enough, Jimmy then went on to answer some of the other questions on Troy's Facebook post. I'll link to the post and print a screenshot in the show notes. But here are the highlights. Number one, Jerry Lawler can only double combat damage from blocked or blocking character dice. Forget about it, Iceman. Number two, more mankind clarification. It doesn't need to precisely say prep when moving a die to the prep area to trigger his ability. And again, KO'd dice are not considered prepped. Number three, regarding tag out timing, like infiltrate, it happens immediately after blockers are declared, but before globals and actions can be used. Number four, Jimmy was of the opinion that you could choose the order of effects for the Yawning Portal Becky Lynch global interaction. People were wondering whether Yawning Portal would force a Becky die into the bag. For what it's worth, there's an old ruling with Agent Carter that pretty much says the same thing. You can have it go to the bag first and then end up in prep. Or the other way around, if for some reason you want it in the bag. Number five, wallop is modern legal. So pay a fist and stop that damage. Take that, Becky Lynch. Its numbering was an error. In Golden, you could even play it together with Flying Hammer. Number six, concerning Becky Lynch, made in Ireland... You're able to reroll zero dice because you're still fielding her as a character. If she were an action die that let you reroll up to two character dice, you wouldn't be able to use the action for no effect, i.e. only triggering other cards. But because you're fielding her, she's still doing something, so it's not for no effect. Right. Number seven, concerning Tyrol, sword for hire. That's the one that you can spin him down to prevent damage. This ability is reactive, but preventative. So what happens in that speediest you know, not rule-speak timing window right after the damage happens. It can only happen if you're actually able to spin Tyrol down and the character dealing the damage can be targeted by character abilities. See the Invisible Stalker ruling for more details on that. Number eight. And finally, ask the question of if you have two Rachel Summers prestige in the field, the old another versus another different X-Men question, Jimmy's of the opinion that she does trigger herself. One could get KO'd, triggering the ability on the other one. Same would be true if you had two Hope Summers dice that were both copying Rachel. All right. That's like Christmas in April. And if that's not all, Jimmy also did a live unboxing of a sleeve of the upcoming Infinity Gauntlet set. You'll find links to that video and to all the rulings we've just talked about in the show notes at rollandthunder.xyz forward slash 211. All right, before we move on to the meat of the show, let's talk a little one big weekend. As everyone has probably already heard or surmised, we've decided to push the local events and the subsequent one big weekend online final down to later this year. As the social distancing restrictions get lifted, we'll regroup and figure out a window for the events, but for now, know that they are on hold. But we didn't want to leave everyone empty-handed. That's right. On May 16th, which was the original date for the One Big Weekend Online Final, we've decided to incorporate a couple of what we're calling One Big Weekend Corona Consolation Tournaments into the traditional OBW stream. Think of these two tournaments as the online equivalent of a traditional regular local One Big Weekend tournament, where the top two finishers will be eligible to play in the OBW online final later this year. I'm also going to send some prizing to the top four finishers of these two events as well. 
we're going to split this into the two major time zones. So one event will be for Europe, and True Mr. Six has agreed to help run that. And the other will be for the North American time zones. If you're outside of either of these zones and still want to play, let us know and we can fit you in. I ran a survey a little more than a week ago. Thank you to those who responded. And it seems like people are interested in running a straight-up 2020 modern constructed event. So let's see where the chips fall. If you're interested in joining the online Dice Master scene, check out the Dice Coalition's online play page for how to get set up and running, or take a look at the Cribs videos True Mr. Six has been posting. You can also listen to the first part of Season 1, Episode 6, which you can find at rollandthunder.xyz forward slash 106 for Season 1, Episode 6, and Troy and Steven will tell you all about how to jump into online Dice Masters. I'll have something up for the OBWCCT signups in the next couple of weeks, so keep your eyes out for that. Well, I will to Rea Yanusha. Kinchukajun. Let's do it. All right, seeing as WizKids has recently released a tag team team pack, we thought it might be appropriate to have on the show with us tonight the meanest mother-son tag team in the history of the game. The veteran is a top four finisher in the 2016 Spring Regional WKO in Iowa City, a second place finisher in the 2016 Fall Regional WKO in Chicago, the winner of the 2017 Regional Draft WKO in Omaha, Nebraska, and the ninth place finisher at last year's 2019 U.S. National Championships. And The Offspring is a 5th place finisher at the 2015 Midwestern Open, the 5th place finisher at the 2016 World Championship, the winner of the 2016 Midwest Open, a finalist in multiple 2016 WKOs, a top 16 finisher in the 2017 U.S. National Championships, the winner of the 2017 Regional Constructed WKO in Grand Rapids, Michigan, the winner of the 2018 Battle for Ultramar Draft at Worlds and the 5th place finisher at the 2019 U.S. National Championships Ben and Joni Kaplan Welcome to Rollin' Thunder Thank you very much for having us My great pleasure, you know I've written down in the show notes that this episode would be dedicated to delving into the aggro mindset and, and play style, but to be honest, it's really just an excuse to invite two lovely people onto the Rolling Thunder airwaves, so, you know. Well, it's also to talk about aggro dice masters, I mean, come on, don't sell these guys short, you just you just read their, uh, their, their, their no, accolades uh, for two minutes straight. Of I course, mean. but but anyone who's traveled to Origin since 2016 knows what I'm talking about. I mean, people talk about the dice master scene being full of kind and generous folks, and Joni and Ben would make the best ambassadors in that regard for our communities. So uh, we're just happy to have you here on our show. And I know everyone's kind of holed up right now across the world. And uh, it's just nice to have some positive vibes <laughs> in the room, in the room, so to speak. Thank you. Well, thank you. Thank you. Uh, no pressure on us, I guess. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Everyone looks good by comparison to us, so we'll we'll, we'll try to we'll try to hold you up. <laughs> How have you guys been doing? First of all, I mean, I, we can't. The elephant in the room is this COVID nineteen situation. How has that affected your lives out in the Midwest? Well, I work in healthcare, so I'm pretty much gotta go. Wow. So I do work at an office, so we're not quite as busy as the hospitals are. 
but uh, it's been interesting. I bet. Everybody else, they've closed down restaurants and bars except for pickup and that sort of thing, but we're not forced to be inside yet. So, mm, okay. Well, so, so have you found your workload going up measurably? No, actually, well, we've basically rescheduled everybody that's a screening or kind of, you know, if it can be done later, we're kind of moving those people out so that therefore our load is not, you know, significantly changed. We're just doing those people who have to have exams done. Got it. Okay, well, that's that's good. I know a lot of people. It's funny the, we talk to a lot of people who are teachers in our community, and apparently, you know, they're they're buried right now, having to deal with online learning online. and all that stuff. Yeah. So, you know, my heart goes out to them for sure. I mean, our business personally, I know I'm I got laid off a couple of weeks ago, so we're completely shut down. But uh, you know, how about you, Ben? How's how's life for you? Are you are you guys all are you on on like quarantined at this point, or how's how's that working for uh, you? Well, I actually have been uh, self-employed over the summer and into the winter and now into the spring. So I actually, it's not that different for me in terms of work. <laughs> Got it. Um, so I've just, in fact, there's more pressure because some of what I do deals with people who are in financial distress. And Ooh, uh, right. now that's kind of everywhere. Yeah. So, yeah. Everybody put your hand up right now. Right. So, well. Yeah, so there's a lot of pressure for me to actually be doing more in work and, you know, with everyone else being quarantined. Yeah, uh, okay. talking about all the cool things they're doing at home. It's like, man, yeah, kind of nice. Take a load off, Fanny, right? <laughs> all right. Well, I'm sorry to hear that. And uh, thank you, Joni, for being on the front line, so to speak, you know. Yep, you're welcome. So uh, have you had any chance to do any kind of gaming and all this? It sounds like you guys have been probably pretty busy at this point, right? We actually have done a little. In fact, Ben made up a new WWE set that's kind of aggro. Oh. Uh, yes. We realized if we were going to be talking about Dice Masters, it might be a good idea for us to play some of the newer <laughs> stuff. I mean, since we saw you last time at Nationals, we've maybe played a double-digit number of times. but Right generally haven't had a lot of time to play dice masters uh, we do some some general gaming board gaming and stuff on a regular basis but unfortunately the, finding people who want to do dice masters on a regular basis has been tough so it's plus we've been extra busy in our regular lives so it's uh listening to the podcast when i can playing dice masters when i can but the first time we were able to open wwe was last night oh great and uh we had a ton of fun with it we did riddler's rumble format oh awesome uh, right because we we really like doing that because we love to play but we don't like to spend a lot of time brewing if we can avoid it so riddler's rumble is really good in that regard because we just oh i bought a card these <laughs> are the dice i have let's figure out how this works yeah and in terms of aggro it's fantastic for that because you have to attack every turn otherwise you just get these walls yep yep and for those of you who are interested in the riddler's rumble format we talked about that with patrick shadowmel barley way back when on episode one from season, season one, one episode and one so if you, you can find it rolling thunder dot xyz in the show notes shoot is it oh one one or 101 101 so long, so long ago <laughs> rolling forward slash 101 for season one episode one no apostrophe, no G. <laughs> yes, and there's links to the format in there, and it's a super fun, cube-like endeavor brought to you from the mind of the nefarious geneticist himself, Mr. Patrick Barley. Before we get into aggro, though, I want to just get, how did you guys get into the game? It's so cool to talk to another parent-child combo out there, although you guys are kind of like reverse images of it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, they talk about Dice Masters being the dadliest game out there. 
I've heard that, but I love that you flipped that all on its head. And uh, you know, having a mother son combo in the game is just awesome. We got the best one in the we got the best one in the world on the line. Tonight. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, so, how did you guys come to the game? So, a friend of mine convinced me to play to start with because we had played Quarriers in our weekly gaming right. group, and he said, "Well, it's kind of like that, but it's two player and it's more like combat based, almost like Magic with Quarriers dice." Uh-huh. And I'd had some experience with Magic back in the day, and I did like you know anything with dice where you get to roll and have some random chance and involved is a lot of fun. And he said, "Oh yeah, and the D and D set just dropped, so you can." play all these characters D&D with dice. And I said, you know, sign me up. (laughs) So I started playing with them on a weekly basis and I uh, decided I wanted to go to a tournament, but I couldn't find time with friends to test my teams or really play anything competitive. And mom and I had played a few games together at this point. So I said, hey mom, if I teach you this game, would you like to (laughs) play with me and maybe help me get some repetitions in, get some practice going? And uh, so I taught her generally how to play just enough so that I could try my own teams against her. Right. And uh, I said, hey, you know, by the way, we meet every Tuesday. If you want to come hang out with us and play with us, we'd be happy to have you. Oh, awesome. Yep. And so it took me a bit, but I'm like, are you sure? You know, it's like, do you really want your mom there? Seriously. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's the best. (laughs) After a couple of times, he convinced me, yeah, come out. It's really easygoing. And so I did. And I really learned a lot. And it's it's been a good group of guys to, to hang with and play. So that's fantastic. That is such a cool story, you know, and it's actually similar how Lucan wrote me in sort of the same way in a way. So uh, (laughs) that's really, really neat. And people talk about like it being scary and stuff going to your first tournament. Did you find that experience, Joni, when you first ventured out? Absolutely. For me, I was scared to death. Uh (laughs) And the funny thing is, is that Ben basically just he had brewed this team and he's like, okay, this is how you play it. And we played a bunch against each other. And so I was really scared until after the very first match. And then it's like, okay, I can do this. So. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Once you get over that first time you go, it's, it, it seems daunting. But once you get past it, it's not so bad, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah and she did actually in that tournament go on to beat me um, <laughs> in, in the top four. So. There you are. There you are. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Both of you are super fun to play against. And, you know, obviously it's fair to say I think you guys are fierce competitors, but but <laughs> super friendly to play against. So, uh, well, I like the group that we end up playing with, even in nationals and world tournaments, because everybody is pretty friendly. I mean, there's always competition, but everybody's pretty friendly regardless. Yeah. So. Yep. There's something about, you know, I think like you were talking about the rolling of dice aspect of thing. There's something about that too, that just mm-hmm. takes the edge off somehow. <laughs> you know, I don't know what it is, but it makes it more fun somehow. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, you can't you know, control you always, that. Yeah. Yeah. You've always got something to blame, you know, when you, if you, you can always say, well, I, you know, didn't roll anything but energy or you know, <laughs> right. insert excuse here. It's never my fault. And I, and I think it's actually really good for the community because when you have a game that's super raw, like chess, I used to play com- mm-hmm. competitive chess when I was younger and the community, just to be quite honest, was pretty terrible because people's egos got super into it and their egos got inflated and it was just super personal to them if they lose. Because if if you lost, that's your fault. There's no like other thing you can blame it on. Like You just made a mistake and 
That's also everybody in the chess community perceives that to be directly linked to their value as a human and their intelligence. <laughs> so I think it's pretty good that you have a luck element in Dice Masters. It keeps the community healthy. Absolutely. And the fact that there's team building and you're not playing an identical mirror match with identical cards or pieces as you do in chess. It makes it so there's a luck element in what matchups you run into, too. Yeah. You might have objectively brewed the strongest team, but if you run into a team that's full of counters to your team, sometimes there's not a lot you can do. It just happens sometimes, right? Yeah. <laughs> All right. We said we were going to talk about aggro in this episode, so let's get to it. Ben, you've particularly shined in both combat aggro and direct damage aggro, so can you just kind of walk us through that mindset in general and how you kind of found it for yourself? Uh, yeah, actually, uh, for me, it kind of started on accident. When I first started, it was more of a Johnny. I was interested in finding a couple cool combos to do or setting up these intricate things. In fact, one time I, I had a team entirely built on taxing your opponent, which I think you guys actually talked a few weeks ago about <laughs> yeah. someone about a similar team. But like everything they'd have to do is pay life. But I wasn't doing particularly well with those things. I kind of got my face smashed by some aggro teams <laughs> and uh, realized, you know, I can't set up my stuff if I'm constantly having to worry about keeping my people alive and keeping my life total up. And realized that, you know, here I was trying to do these combos that controlled your opponent. When really playing aggro does that a lot, you know, when you're forcing the attack on someone and they have to decide, oh, well, do I want to keep my pieces out or do I want to take a ton of damage right and it ended up being from my perspective almost more controlling being on the aggressive side mm -hmm. and so i just kind of looked at that one thing was when uh, lantern ring first came out that kind of changed the equation a lot because it wasn't just combat damage or direct damage anymore you could do both right and in fact i always found that anytime you can do both it's going to be more useful i never liked just relying on one way to win whereas until that time it seemed like that's what the aggro playstyle was was just okay combat damage keep hitting over and over again and hope you could get enough to get past your opponent or have some kind of board clear like green goliath and then swing in for the win but with uh, lantern ring all of a sudden you could attack do direct damage and then also like with mask you could do a whole bunch of shenanigans on top of it <laughs> right. but uh, once bard entered the scene it wiped the floor with my mask ring team and I figured, you know what? If you can't beat him, join him. Yep. You know, when he found the power of Bard, it just nothing else could compare to it at the time. Well, let's jump back before we get into Bard. You know, I think that's probably around the time when we met, probably around that Bard time. Yeah. Before that, you had mentioned Green Goliath. Wasn't he on your first Midwestern Open build? Yeah, he was. Actually, I skipped ahead a little bit myself there. Uh, my first introduction with aggro was Punisher McRook. Oh, yeah, great card. Because it was one of those cards where it was aggro mm -hmm. and did damage or, or your opponent lost life. But at the same time, you were giving your opponent that bad choice. Either they had <laughs> right. to take damage or they had to take damage. I always felt of him like, <laughs> as like kind of like Serena's older brother or something, you know? Can can, uh, can you remind folks who are new to the game what McRook does? Oh yeah, uh, so Punisher McRook, he was a four-cost bolt who had like a 5-6-6 six, six attack or something yeah, like that. even mean. And really low defense, so you're always going to be attacking with him anyway. The text said, when McRook attacks, target opponent die, gets knocked out, unless your opponent pays two life. Right. So right away, if they wanted to be able to block with him or have them on, if it was a key piece, you know, if you like, you target their Jinzo right. <laughs> that they want to keep out in the field, they're going to pay that two life right, every time. Right. Yeah. And regardless of what happens with Punisher, you've done that two life. So not even damage. So you won't trigger your green Goliaths or 
other triggering abilities. But generally, I had him with Green Goliath, because yep. Green Goliath would clear the field, and generally with one Green Goliath, a Punisher, and maybe a couple sidekicks, you've got lethal. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's surprising how fast it can happen, right? Especially because that two damage, suddenly you're, you got, you're down to 18, and you're pretty close with the sidekicks and McRook and, and Hulk, right? So... Yeah, I mean, it, it, what, what I really loved was getting multiple Punishers out there, because then all of a sudden, every time he attacks, so if you have three Punishers out, out there, they either take six life or get rid of their key piece. Right. Or, back, or, you know, you get rid of three characters, and then you've got three, like, five-five swinging your way. Yeah, back when me and my dad started playing Dice Masters, we played with my brother as well, and so we would play, like, three-way, and we didn't really like the section of the rules where... It said that if like a sidekick blocks Hulk, the opponent takes no damage. So when we played, everything had overcrush, right? <laughs> oh, and and it, we played three way. And since we didn't have a large collection at that point, I think we had two McRooks. And so one of us would always end up without McRooks and we'd draft our team so that there wouldn't be an imbalance with who got the good cards. Mm -hmm. But McRook, it was just so powerful in that format <laughs> because, first of all, we were really bad at the game at that point in time, so we kind of <laughs> forgot that the pay-to-life option existed. Oh, yeah. And so it was just like, attack with McRook, who's got six attack and overcrush for four. And removal. And removal. <laughs> like, it was just such a powerful card. Of course, it wasn't actually that powerful. It was still good, though, you know? <laughs> we thought it was unstoppable at the time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, to be fair, it's, it's one of my favorite cards to this day. Yeah. And, you know, I, I'm kind of spoiled. Every time a new Punisher comes out, I hope it's going to be as good. Yep. And it just, it never is. <laughs> well, you know, sometimes it's great to have that stake in the ground somewhere, right? <laughs> All right, so that first team you you had Punisher and Green Goliath, and between those two, you could get to the win. And then you were trying Mask Ring, it sounds like, and then you moved on to join the Bard crowd. Now, that was like spring, summer of 2016. Yep. Can you walk us back, and, and how did you come to that team and all of that jazz? Uh, yeah, so at the time, I like I said, I just placed a top four with the Mask Ring team, and I liked it, but you know, knowing that it had this major weakness against something that a lot of people were playing. I started looking at different Bard teams, seeing what the possibilities might be. And then the team up in Canada who who played the, they call it the Golem Flood team, or some people call it the Bard Buzzsaw team. Yep. They put out this just incredible article detailing what you do, you know, turn one, turn two, turn three, really just roadmap to play this team. Yep. And I figured, okay, well, here's a really in-depth team. Uh, I'll play it against the team that I was building to go to Worlds to see if I could qualify. Right. And it beat it every single time. Like, hands down, I could never beat it. So I said, okay, well, having played it just long enough... To see if uh, it could beat me. <laughs> yeah. And the thing is, it actually uh, it worked really well with my natural play style because I had been playing with golems since they first dropped mm -hmm. in D&D. I love the idea of golems. I love D&D things in general. I mean, the, the primary... I think half that team is D&D &D by itself, so... <laughs> It just kind of flowed with what I wanted to do. The only difference is I took out Cloud Kill and put it in prison. Yeah. Because we were playing against, I think, the UK Nats team at the time that did really well and it had in prison. Yeah. And I realized it was really not a threat to me playing that team, whereas it was more useful. And I found that more people were scared of it if they didn't know how to play around it. But having yeah. that fabricate, the ability to get your key pieces off the board for a turn and then threaten the imprison to your opponent made a huge difference. Either they saw it coming and they got their people out, which made it easier for you to run through next turn with a full wall, or 
they didn't, and then you imprison their whole team, and then <laughs> yeah, you know, and through anyway. Here come the tears. Yep, 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 yep. Imprison's such a terrifying card. I remember you know being scared of it myself, and I thought. If I'm so scared of this card, I better learn how to play it. And, and, you know, I think that's probably a good barometer in terms of things that you ought to pay attention to. Check your fear level, right? You know, I'm just yeah. hot, hot take here. Hot take. It is a good thing that WizKids knocked that card off of the global escalation, all the global yeah. formats. It's it, good riddance. Ben, I, I think thing. you're much more willing or happy to go with the golem dynamic than a lot of people are i mean you just you really like that yeah what what do you think about fabricate what was the thing that really attracted you ben uh well actually i'd been playing with blue eyes mm. white dragon right. a little bit before that i think it started i made a few different when ko teams because mm-hmm. you know Yu-Gi-Oh had several things that did that and i think specifically i made a justice league retaliation team oh cool that really took advantage of being able to blue eyes your people out and do tons of retaliation damage. Right. And then when I found Fabricate, is like, oh, well, it's the same thing, only you get another character as well, and a pretty beefy character at that. Yeah, that's cool. Because I think, I think Russell Love, when he was doing the Double Burst podcast, did a whole lot of that as well. Yeah, yep. And so when I heard him talk about it, I thought, oh yeah, Kindred Spirit. <laughs> that's cool. Yep, yep. So it, it kind of grew out of Blue Eyes then, which makes a lot of sense, I think. <laughs> Okay, so Ben, let's talk about your 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 team real quick here. It was the Bard Buzzsaw with with Imprisoned. Take a quick little run through it, and if you if you can remember your buy order, how you played it, it might be helpful to some folks. Yeah, the first turn you want. Generally speaking, you want this is back when first turn had four energy still. Right. And I think part of the reason why they changed it was how abusive it was. Yeah, and because of this tournament in specific, yeah. Yeah, because <laughs> it was like seventy five percent of the people who went first won mm-hmm. <laughs> something like that. Yeah, I think it was even higher. Yeah, so first turn you were trying to get an elf thief and either a sidekick and or a mask or possibly two masks for Professor X. Mm -hmm. That way you could threaten your elf thief as soon as possible so that your opponent couldn't use it for Professor X as much. Yep. And then if you couldn't do that or sometimes if the energy, you know, with two rolls, if you had enough to buy Dwarf Wizard and still have a mask, I would do that. Yeah. And so either you threaten with the the stealing or you're able to blank one of their key pieces right away. Mm -hmm. And then the second turn, you would just do the opposite of whatever you didn't do. Or sometimes you would try and get two elf thieves right away and just kill any chance your opponent had of (laughs) keeping ramp. And uh, especially with parallax, because you can do some some fun stuff with Elf Thief and Parallax. Yep, you just steal, 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 right? <laughs> yeah, now you you had a good run with this team. I just want to you had PXG, you had Kryptonite for blanking, mm-hmm. you had Mr. Fantastic as for a taunt, Parallax, you have Golem. Which Golem? You had do you have the Uncommon? Uh, it was the Uncommon, yeah. Yeah, to stop Green Goliath, I'm assuming, right? Yeah. And or magic missiles or something if they wanted to ping your guys out. There you go. Yep. Uh, dwarf or five kill as well, which were all threats at the time for sure, especially mm-hmm. with this team's run. And then dwarf wizard for blanking, elf thief for stealing, and a two cloth mask with big stats. Then everyone's favorite half elf bard <laughs> and uh, magic missile when imprisoned. Okay, so definitely you know one of these great teams that can switch from being heavily defensive to being flat out in your face, knock you out of your socks, bam, right? Yeah, yeah. the The idea basically was you tilt your opponent either with blanking or stealing. Yep. And then you get half elf bard as soon as you can. Fabricate your elf thief and your wizard or your two elf thieves for 
a golem, and then the next turn you're rolling for lethal. And if you can't do it that turn, then you buy an imprison and do <laughs> yeah. that next turn. Yeah, right. If they're fortunate enough to get their sidekicks out to protect against that, then you buy the imprison mm-hmm. and take them all, right? So <laughs> yep. There's also Mr. Fantastic here with the mask taunt. If we're talking about the aggressive play style today, I think that is an essential card that we need to talk about, especially since it has now returned in the form of Scott Hall, or well, almost returned. It's a bolt now. But we had Phoenix back in the day, so there, it has always existed. But yeah, can we just like, let's talk about the taunt a little bit. Sure. How best to use it. How, in your experience, have you used it most effectively? I mean, definitely Constantine, because Constantine, if you saw that across the board, that would stop your elf thief, it would stop your wizard, it would stop really anyone fielded right away and buy your opponent enough time to recover from whatever shenanigans you're pulling. Right. So the taunt, you would get Constantine, you'd take the two or three health to get that piece out of the way, or, you know, if they had their dwarf wizard out there especially on its level yeah. one face where it does zero damage <laughs> it takes zero uh, thanks <laughs> yeah you get that blanker out of the way yeah. or their bard if they don't have enough to kill you mm-hmm. if they don't have lethal but you can get their bard out for a turn and give you the chance to get them next time i mean really any threat that you can think of you can just get it out of the way just got to remember not to use that mask for pxg right yeah <laughs> Right. Well, that's awesome. Well, and also just if you are interested at home in playing the Taunt Global, I highly encourage it. But remember, it's always a really good idea to just save one your reserve pool in the mid game just in case. You'll never know when you'll say that needs to get out of there. (laughs) Because especially these days with the super big combat damage in WWE, Mm -hmm. the difference between 5 and 20 isn't that much because a one turn kill is very, very feasible these days. No, that's true. You know, Ben, I was looking at your record from the day and talk about the gauntlet. Not only did you play Guillermo on the day, you also played Isaac, who both went one and two, and you beat them both in Swiss, if my memory serves me correctly. Isn't that correct? Yeah. Yeah. So you both finished first and second, I think, is what you would say. When you say they finished yeah. one and two, it doesn't sound quite so impressive. impressive. No, they finished first and second. They finished first and second, but Ben, you took them down that day. and so Yeah, I, was, uh, I, I beat them both in Swiss, and then I got eliminated in top eight. It was just... A buzzer beater it was super close and once i saw them at the final table i said oh hey look at that <laughs> i actually uh i was on the twitch stream against guillermo that year oh and that's great to his credit he just had the worst possible luck he rolled i think there was a turn he rolled two sidekicks and two elf thieves all on character faces so Ooh. he couldn't field either of the elf thieves and there was no way to recover from that point on wow wow yeah well that happens sometimes isn't that? that was 2016 man you missed one roll that's it <laughs> yes. yeah especially that year you know <laughs> So let's jump forward to after the 2016 World Championships to that fall. You had the Midwestern Open and the Fall Regional. Lots of events happening then. Mm -hmm. What were you brewing at that time? So after Worlds, you know, that got my competitive bug. You know, I got bit. And so I traveled as much as I could and played. And I pretty much played that same team, except I played Constantine instead of Kryptonite. And I played that pretty much for that whole competitive season. And at the end of that season is when they kind of introduced the idea of modern. Right. And that they'd be switching to modern. And I think the first team I played that wasn't that team was for the PDC uh-huh. when they did PDC Prime, which was modern before they introduced modern. Yep. And unfortunately, in that meta, Ultraman pretty much just beat everything else. <laughs> so everyone did. was pretty much playing Ultraman. Uh, in terms of brewing at that point, I wasn't doing a whole lot. I mean, we were mostly doing drafts at our local store. And I think Batman had come out and I was enamored with Firefly because... Mm-hmm. Talk about direct damage. Firefly was just <laughs> yes. this incredible piece of 
ever since Punisher McRook, I took a look at the Bolt characters because they always had some combination of direct damage and combat, whether it was Cheetah, whether it was like Green Lantern that you could do, you know, his attack damage to other players. Mm -hmm. Uh, There was always various one field or one attack things that Bolts could do. And the idea that you can just throw Firefly on top of that team and all of a sudden (laughs) he's doing, you know, and on his level three face actually hits for pretty hard like yeah. damage. Oh yeah. So, Although you preferably want him on one of the lower faces. So he gets KO and you can feel them again. But I mean, four yeah, is but, still a solid amount. Yeah. But you know, that's the thing is I played fabricate a lot, so I wasn't really uh, worried about it. I figured right. whether he's on four or not, I can get him out of the field. Yep. And sooner or later they're going to be blocking those golems and then he starts to hurt even, you know, even if you have to pay those fielding costs, right? Mm-hmm. Well, that's great. But so yeah, I mean, ideally you reroll those golems so that you, you can have energy rather than, uh, yeah, yeah, those level three character faces. But. Well, it well back in the day, Green Goliath was still legal, right? So, mm-hmm. it, uncommon clay golem was good for absorbing a couple bolts from Green Goliath, so that you didn't get your field wiped every turn. <laughs> right. So yeah, it wasn't definitely. It was still useful, you know. Yeah, I mean, and it, from that point on, in fact, I I almost used them as a crutch. I always tried to find a place on my team for golems, and then realized, you know what, maybe. You just let that dream go at a certain point. <laughs> <laughs> the fabricate thing is so cool, though. You know, I mean, it, you know, we were talking about Yu-Gi-Oh a little bit earlier. It, it kind of, I guess, evolved out of the um, fusion. Fusion, yeah, which was always fun it too. Cool, but you know, you could only do it once. That's why it was bad. And you also were stuck with Time Wizard. But uh, you know, other than that, it was a cool idea, right? <laughs> I mean, that was the thing with Yu-Gi-Oh! They had all these cool ideas, and they used it on one or two cards that didn't really work very well together. Right, right. Well, it was still early, you know. So Mm -hmm. we're moving into 2017 here, and and one of the things that we kind of, it was great to hear from you about, was that you had, I guess, joined the St. Louis Brew Crew, I'll call it that, with Craig Huebner and Jared and Michaela, and I guess you guys all sat down and and brewed some really great teams. Can you talk to us about that experience and how that came about, and what was kind of in the collective hive mind at the time? Yeah. So I hooked up with them just because we had, you know, them being about four hours south of us driving distance, mm-hmm. we went to several of the same WKOs. So we'd go to Chicago. I think I met Jared there in 2016 for the first time, a tournament we did there. Right. Jared Wood. And I uh, met Michaela at the Springfield WKO where she ended up beating me and taking taking first there right. uh, with her own version of Bard that was was really clever and really cool. So we, we played in, in various tournaments, and I don't remember where we were. I think it was just after Springfield that we talked about maybe getting together and, and playing some stuff. And I just went down there one week because I joined their Slack, Okay. their discussion where they were talking about all things Dice Masters on Slack. And I said, you know what? I'm not really doing anything. I definitely need some reps. And at that point, I was traveling pretty aggressively for Dice Masters. So cool. went down there for the weekend, and we played some various things. At the time, I was you know, thinking about doing something with Parallax and Firefly, you know, just, you <laughs> right. know like people did with Gobby, where you would roll him out of the field and back into the field. And it was actually pretty quick, yeah. the amount of damage that you could stack up doing that. But uh, so Jared actually saw the Firefly that I was playing. And he ended up putting that on his team that he had with Darkseid and various other things. He was trying to find one more piece to his team's puzzle. Right. And said, all right, well, I'm going to take that. And obviously he did very, very well with that. <laughs> yep. Jared won it that year. I think he had, what, Miri, Dwarf Wizard, Darkseid, Lantern Ring. 
and mm-hmm. Firefly, and if that's not enough bolts to burn you down, <laughs> I don't yeah. know what is. Yeah. And, and <laughs> Star Labs, piece, too. <laughs> yeah, and the key piece of that is no one was bringing Magic Missile because people were afraid of Ultraman from the PDC stuff. Right. So when you took out Magic Missile, that's a huge, a huge thing with Darkseid. Yep. So, you know, if you've got dark side in the field, you were going to be swarming and rolling your bag the whole time. Yeah, it's interesting now that I think back, the two finalists both had dark side. So that missing magic missile really made a difference in 2017, you know? Oh, yeah. And then you can see, because you look at the teams that won nationals and then look a day later when people realize what the meta was and the Ultraman wasn't really a thing. Right. <laughs> well, even... Magic missile came back and, you know, a lot of those things that were on JST didn't really see the light of day. In the yeah. That's true. Even even though in in nationals, like I think what happened with Ultraman was one of the most interesting meta games in the history of Dice Masters, mm-hmm. where everybody thought it was going to be there, and some people teched aggressively against it. On the day of nationals, I think there were like five, and on the day of worlds, there were only two, and it was just yeah. it was just one of the most interesting things. Like see how all like the different players either were like promising to tech really hard against it and actually teching hard against it or promising to tech hard against it so that they didn't have to take up that action slot to counter it of like tubing <laughs> to fly or whatever your action of choice is. Right, right. Yeah, it was interesting. Yeah, but we ended up actually using that too big to fly space and adding it into our brew because we'd been messing around with various Guy Gardner stuff and obviously I love lantern ring, so I was trying out different lantern ring things. And uh, we got this idea that if you had Guy Gardner with fists and you were playing someone who didn't play a lot against Guy Gardner or didn't really understand how fast you can get hit with it. Oh, yeah. That if you rolled, like, like first turn, if you ripped a Guy Gardner and rolled aggressively for sidekicks, and we had Star Labs and Ring on that team, yeah. so you could get something like Guy Gardner with four sidekicks, and then you're doing something like eight, nine damage <sighs> yeah. right away. And yeah. then we had Luke Cage on there. So you could just spend the next two turn Luke caging if you <laughs> got the right rolls. And- yeah. And it, you want to run down that team real, real quick. Cause it is, it's talk about an aggro team. This is aggro and embryo, so to speak. <laughs> if you'd run it down the list, it'd be, it's, it's this fist ring team. That's just super mean. Yeah, absolutely. It was a lot of fun. So you had Guy Gardner, uh, you had Lantern Ring, Goblin, who was in there for the Swarm. Yep. Because essentially you do that that trick first turn, or you know if they see where it's coming and they defend against it, you went to the Goblin so you could get more fists to power the Lantern Ring. Yep. Uh, I had Casey Jones, Mutant Hunter, which would taunt sidekicks and villains from your opposing team. Yep. So that then your Guy Gardeners and other characters can go through for damage. Yep. And then we had Star Labs and Ring, which were there just to get sidekicks. Or Ring, you could get a fist also to, to help get lethal. With the Lantern Ring, sure, yeah. Or with too big to fly, and, uh, you never bought the lantern ring. Well, the thing is, also, was this is a double dipping on energy too. So you could deal the one you could deal thing, everything with deal lantern, lantern, ring, lantern ring, and then use Luke the Ray, Luke Cage on top of it. So you know, if you were suddenly within ten, it was not hard to get that last ten. You know, so you took that within one huge. 10? If you were within twenty, yeah, it's not hard to get that last. 20. <laughs> yeah, I got hit by this team a couple times. I played against <laughs> one of these. I forget who. There's a whole bunch of people who were playing this team and. I had one of those rolls where I just kind of whiffed. I was rolling for sidekicks, and I couldn't roll. <laughs> and I got walked over by this team. It happens really fast if you're not careful. This right? is actually like a really good team worth revisiting with some of the newer things that we have. Well, especially Yawning Portal, right? Because the big trouble with Guy Gardner was that since he has to attack every turn, you had to get him in the field the turn you were going to win. You had to get all of them, or like three of them at least. You know, you had to you had to have a big turn. And now with Yawning Portal, you can just empty your bag, 
and then selectively only put then buy all four of your guy gardeners they all go into your bag and then the next turn you only draw guy gardeners <laughs> and then you walk on through for god knows how much yeah that could be super mean for sure if you're playing golden this this is an idea worth revisiting if you want to lose all your friends yeah. but, <laughs> <laughs> but i you know i really love that the idea of like being able to do that lantern ring damage and then still use the fists after the fact for Luke right. cage global you know it's really mean yeah and this one specifically was was amazing just because you had Luke cage in case they had blockers for everyone and you had too big to fly so you could pump them up if they didn't have <laughs> right. blockers so you know you, if you had a fist energy you could use it three different ways yeah yep 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 super flexible yeah i know and when people saw this team it's funny how many heads it turned michael plum from utah one of the all-time great brewers and pilots was planning on running this super interesting vibranium shield uncommon alfred team he cooked up and when he saw this fist ring team of yours he switched courses right before nationals. This team of yours had that kind of an impact. Well, it ended up taking second place in the entire world that year, right? Because Andrew Krauss ran it and took it all the way to the top where he, he lost to Victor. But right. he took it all the way to the top. And it was one of those games where it really could have gone, gone either, either way. way. Yeah. So how did you do with this team, Ben? Do you remember? Yeah, so I ended up getting top 16. Mm-hmm. The thing is, I was playing against Craig Richards, who was a mirror match. Oh, right. So one of us was getting top eight, one of us wasn't. <laughs> right. And uh, <laughs> he, he just happened to outplay me that game and get, you know. Sure. Uh, the thing is, we had done, I think, when we did our reps beforehand, when we were doing brewing, I played him more than anyone else. So we like he, yeah. we definitely were in each other's heads and knew how we were going to play it before he played it and he plays he puts me to shame with his aggro play he uh i remember the first couple times i played with him he just he always had people attacking he always had big characters in the field i didn't even know where they came from but yeah i was always on the defensive playing against craig and he with it with a team like this that is just pure aggro yeah he, he beat me doing that thing is we had discussed we'd come up with this team but didn't really keep in touch with what we were going to be playing day of yeah because I was considering either playing this or also playing Jared's team as well. Right. But I figured I like this. It was simple. There's not that much thinking. Right. Which in long tournament days really is a factor. Yes, it sure is. And because I'm sure at the end of, I mean, Jared was so burnt out at the end of the first day, he didn't even play in Worlds the next day. <laughs> yeah. I remember he, he had a lot of thinking going on in that match against Stewart. That was a, a, a real <laughs> head scratcher for sure. Yeah. So it, the day of, and I think we played these for qualifiers as well. So we had a total of like six people all playing this team just because we all saw how powerful it was and thought, hey, you know, people aren't going to see this coming. Yeah. But by the time it came to top eight, people kind of knew its shenanigans. So I think Craig (laughs) then also got knocked out in the next round too. And I don't think any of the fist rings made it to that top four in nationals that day, but yeah yeah, and we had to leave early the next day for world so i didn't really get to see much what was going on that day right for people looking to come into big tournaments unfortunately origins was just canceled so if that was your your big plan well come to graceland <laughs> but um, <laughs> but one, one one important part to think about when you're building your teams and it happens every one of the big factors for your victory that you're counting on is the fact that nobody will see it coming just know that after swiss is over and you get into the top cut it's no longer a surprise or a mystery. Your team, having gone 5-0, and will have made its rounds around the community, and people will be theorizing on how to beat that team. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, yeah, but I this think is that's always the interesting thing. It's like after, you know, especially when you have nationals and worlds right next to each other. Yeah. Like that, 
once you're done with nationals, everybody knows what kind of team you're playing. And so they spend the whole evening, you know, counter <laughs> yep. countering it. And then the next day it's like, oh, well, great. <laughs> Jody, what was it that you ran that year? I was trying to remember earlier. I think we were doing the same one, weren't we, Ben? Yep. Yeah, you were you were doing this team with us yeah. too. So yeah. maybe it was you that smacked me around so good. I can't maybe <laughs> I, for some reason I w- wasn't going to say anything, but I'm thinking that might have been. It could have been you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. <laughs> so that brings us past the summer of 2017. You had a big tournament after that. Yeah, I think you you won the regional constructed WKO in Grand Rapids in late 2017. Is, am I r- wrong in that? Uh, yeah, it was like in November, I think. Great. And, and that, it was another super, super huge aggro team. I wonder if you could take us through the bones of this team. And, and this one, I think, might be instructive if we want to get into like how if somebody really gets down to and the nitty gritty plays one of these type of teams. Yeah. Uh, so we had just done the, the whole fist ring team. And I, I thought long and hard about whether or not I was going to play that again. But I kind of was going through barred withdrawal, and <laughs> I thought, you know what? Because I think Dum Dum Duggan had just come out, and Foot Ninja was had been out for a little while, and Red Hood yep. also had come out just recently. And these are all characters who get plus one either for the amount of sidekicks in the field, yep, or plus one based on the number of people attacking, yep. So I figured I'll get big entrance. <laughs> so the first thing you do is you buy a big entrance right away. And either you roll it and you get a bunch of these little guys and get ready to smash them in the face the next turn, or you invest in one of the bigger pieces, because in addition to those four, and so those are all different energy types, by the way. Right. So we got Guy Gardner was a fist, Dum Dum Dugan is a shield, both two cost, Red Hood's a mask, he's a three cost, and Foot Ninja is a bolt three cost all of mm-hmm. them can get huge right and so no matter yeah. what you roll that was the problem with big entrance if you roll the wrong energy you, you're out of luck but with a team like yeah. this doesn't matter right yeah i figured no matter what you roll you're gonna get something good right and you know if you don't get big entrance that second turn if you still have four energy you can buy madam web which i had the rare madam web that right. when you pay two when she attacks everyone has to block her so <laughs> she was more or less the win condition yep. because your other characters would attack and they'd be big very early on yeah and then if the game was going on or if i was tr- having trouble with people shrieking madam web specifically yeah. then we had gorilla grod force of mine Ooh, yeah. and so i figure if they get rid of madam web then you save up and you reach for gorilla grod and that just will put an end to it right because <laughs> he gives everyone else plus one attack right. and everyone else including himself over right you know? and all of them are already giant because they're all giving each other plus one plus one and plus whatever for, for all the other stuff yeah you, yeah you you described this one as what a battering ram and uh yeah <laughs> i think that's an you just you knock on that door and sooner or later it's it's coming down. And so it, it keeps straight to the heart of like the aggro, I guess, way of life. There's not really any countermeasures on this team, but you can get out your dwarf wizard and your shriek and all the removal you like. There's still a win con that you were not able to cover because <laughs> there's like six of them. So <laughs> this was definitely my uh, a good offense is the best defense because yeah. if if I put Shriek on there if I put Dwarf Wizard on there they're they're stalling my win condition they're taking away from what I really want to do and if you're playing pure aggro you want to be attacking every turn mm-hmm. like you want to attack and force them to to deal with whether or not essentially you want to put the ball in their court like do you want to take this damage and do you want to lose your characters because I'll lose my characters because I'll roll them again and attack you again. And uh, and if you miss, you I get Gorilla Grodd, right? So 
<laughs> no, no. Exactly. And if they shriek, you know, if they clear Gorilla Grodd and Madam Web, well, then you still have these huge guys. Right. And I had Professor X on there so that I was getting my sidekicks. And uh, if the opponent wasn't paying attention very clearly, mm-hmm. well, they'd probably still get sidekicks because they, then they can defend at least against my characters. But then they'd be making my foot uh, ninja foot ninjas bigger. Yeah, who is who is also making Dum Dum bigger? Who is yeah, if, <laughs> who? <yeah. laughs> if you want to um, improve your aggro play, if if you're like a natural control player who wants to branch out and diversify their play style, good point with aggro that Ben brought up. The, the truest form of aggro is you're attacking every turn. So you should ask yourself when you're trying to brew an aggro team if you want to if you're brewing an aggro team for the purpose of improving your aggro abilities. You say, would I be afraid of putting a taunt global on this team? Is there anything here that I'm massively losing out if someone forces it to attack? And if the answer is yes, then that's probably more of a, a mid-range team. And, you know, maybe you want to reconsider some of your less gutsy choices. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of which, I'm looking at the cards and I'm thinking the only people you wouldn't want that to happen with on this team. You wouldn't necessarily want to get Madam Web taunted out at the wrong time. You wouldn't want to get Guy Gardner's being disjointed at the wrong time. When, when Let's talk about and, and your ideal buy order of this team. So we had Guy Gardner, Dum Dum Dugan, Red Hood, Foot Ninja, the Uncommon Gorilla Grodd, the Rare Madam Web. We had Rip Hunter's Chalkboard to get things over into the prep area when you needed them. Professor X with, for the sidekick fielding ability. And your two basic actions were Haymaker, obviously, to probably slap that on Foot Ninja or any one of these guys could get nasty fast and big entrance mm-hmm. to get it going fast so you said your first buy would usually be big entrance yeah uh so ideally if you're playing aggro you want to go first right and and generally that's especially when you've got cheap people to buy but you go first and with three you just get big entrance and you see whether or not you get it the next turn if you've got four energy you actually might be interested in because uh, rip hunter was the last piece of this team that i didn't mention mm-hmm. so what you can do is you can actually rip the big entrance that way you know yeah. you're guaranteed to roll it with four dice next turn so first turn, you want to get big entrance no matter what. If you don't rip hunter it, you can either roll a sidekick or save the mask for Professor X and get a sidekick yep. that way. Because ideally, the more sidekicks, the better off you are. Mm-hmm. With Dum Dum and Foot Ninja, right? Essentially, you, you, you roll big entrance and let it decide what you buy next. Because whatever energy you have, you're going to buy. Just say that it all came up question marks. What would you mm-hmm. What would you think? Would you think I'm going to go for Guy uh, here? Or would it depend on what's on the other side of the board? What, uh, what do you uh, think? No, I mean, that early in the game, I'm getting four Guy Gardeners. Yeah, okay. Uh, because if they bought Shriek, <laughs> yeah. then let them Shriek Guy Gardner. I've yep. got four of them out there. They've still got decent stats, and I'll buy something else. Yep. And at that point, I'd probably go into Dum Dum whenever I had a... So essentially, the two-cost characters I'm going to save for when Big Entrance comes up, and the turns where it's not there, I'm going to probably rip either a Foot Ninja or a Red Hood, just based on whatever energy or what they've Shrieked. Mm-hmm. But ideally, as soon as I've used big entrance my next purchase that i i have available i want to go for madam web because you know you're going to be attacking with whatever you have in the field but as soon as you get madam web you can swing for lethal yeah pressure's on yeah and if you whiff early like on that big entrance roll if you just whiff and you get lots of energy within uh gorilla grod uh, you know he's right there and you can buy him fairly early and yep yeah having him ready to threaten is a beautiful thing yeah way back when when i was first learning the game Jason Gardner told me, you know, it's always good to have like a seven cost in case you whiff, you know, mm-hmm. and at first blush looking at this team is like, oh, how are you going to get to Gorilla Grodd? But really he's there in case something goes sideways and it's a good sideways 
escape valve to have, right? <laughs> yeah, he's a pivot. Or also, you know, if they are successfully defending, sometimes yeah. you can try and roll for the fists rather than roll for the characters. A lot of people get really into like, I gotta have the perfect structure. Five in, res, one out, draw four, be able to ramp as much as I want every single turn and always have the perfect five in my use pile come the end of the turn. If you have a seven cost, it's not realistic to be able to expect your rolls to work out that way. And yeah. eventually your whole cycle is going to get screwed up and you're just going to be waiting for the stuff to come up. If you have one big thing that you could get on the turn where you missed everything, it's unfortunate that your bag cycle got messed up. But as soon as that thing comes out, and it will come out eventually, at least out of the bag, can't guarantee that it will roll, but it will come out eventually, <laughs> right. you have something to look forward to and hope is not lost. And with a team like this, you're looking to thin your bag anyway with get the sidekicks out, and so dum-dum and foot ninja get huge, and things are going to come around pretty fast as long as you keep your bag thin, right? So Yeah, and, and that's a big thing we talked about with the fist ring team at Nationals too, was we didn't have ramp, we just had keep your bag lean. And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, then if people did bring energy fixers on top of it, like you could use those. But I, I always like the idea of not necessarily relying on having ramp, right? especially because people would shut it down or if they did shut it down and you were expecting it, there goes your whole, yeah. there goes your whole game sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So just, just keeping it lean has in general worked really well for me, especially if you're doing aggro. It just seems to work better. Yeah. Because then if the things go through, they come back faster too. Right. So yeah. That's great. Now, Joni, did you uh, go up to that Grand Rapids uh, WKO as well that year? Or? No. that Was that the one I was in Nebraska at the same time? Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. One of the other guys from our store and I went to Omaha, Nebraska, and we played in a rainbow draft tournament. Oh, cool. Okay, you're right. That's the one you won, right? Yeah, that's the one I won. with. I got the rare boom boom. Oh, that's and great. And Ben had said, well... It, you know, it sent me a list of ones that I should be looking for. And I'm like, okay. So it ended up, I got like at least half of the cards that he had said to look for. I'm like, wow, you know, I couldn't have drafted any better <laughs> right. than what I had. And it just, everybody was in alignment and it all worked out. <laughs> yeah. that, I won, so. that was a great period of Dice Masters too. That Guardians into the X-Men first class, those drafts were really fun. And uh, yeah. It was neat to have them as WKOs, too, I thought. You yeah. Know? The only bad thing about them was that they came out so close to each other, and when that's yeah. your biggest problem, you know you've got some high-quality <laughs> material on your hands. Yeah, no, I'd love to find Guardians again and go back and draft that again. Yeah. But, you know. well, that's great. How was the Omaha scene? I, I'm, I'm curious. It, they were delightful. It was a lovely store, and I unfortunately, I can't off the top of my head remember, but the fun thing was it had a, a tap, a beer tap place there so you could drink and, and play games and it was, you know eat food and it was uh, just a really neat oh yeah neat scene and everybody there was super friendly and we had a really good time there i it bet was, perfect yeah, <laughs> yeah have We're a burger like and throw back a beer and, and beer roll and some dice, dice. Right? Yeah, what, right what more could you ask for <laughs> <laughs> no complaints right, right. <laughs> oh that's great that's great Speaking of moving the chuck wagon along here, let's keep it moving here. <laughs> so that was what, 2018. We're in 2019 now. We're, we're encroaching upon present day. Yeah, yeah. So let's talk Nats. You guys came to Nats in 2019. 
And you were thinking about, I, I believe, Ben, you were talking about doing some orbital strike shenanigans originally. What were your <laughs> thoughts coming into this? And, and, and how did you end up settling on Iceman? Well, my thoughts going into it was that I had no idea what to play. I had not been keeping a really close eye on what people were playing or what was really going down. I, you know, there was some fun stuff in Warhammer. And I think the newest set was the the X-Men and the X-Men packs had just come out as well. So they were the newest thing. And I really hadn't taken much of a look at them at the time. Yep. But I remembered Orbital Strike being just a ton of fun. And I figured, <laughs> you know what? Maybe if I just get a bunch of cheap characters with a big attack and I can aggro those turns before Orbital Strike comes up. And once Orbital Strike comes up, I'll just roll it and, you know. Over the top. Pray and pray, basically, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe now with, uh, <laughs> yeah. with Yawning Portal and so much ramp introduced, there's going to be so many ways to be intricate with your bag cycle, especially in the first three turns. Maybe Orbital Strike is just seriously worth revisiting. <laughs> oh, yeah. You get all these really powerful two costs. That... If you're comfortable literally rolling the dice, so to speak, <laughs> it could be brutal. That's yeah, what it looks like. Especially my, my, my team for the previous year's Nationals was like, okay, well, I got a 50-50 chance either way. If we're going to do that, like, why not bank <laughs> right. on the 50-50 chance thing? But other than that, I think Pox Walker was the only really interesting thing I had on that team that ultimately I abandoned to, to do Iceman instead just because I'd seen a bunch of people play Iceman. I'd seen some other tech pieces there that people used for other teams but ultimately i figured you know if you have iceman and hulk on a team together yeah. with the techno global there's a lot of just chunk damage that you can do with those things and ended up going with that for the actual event oh yeah no, I'm, I'm, I, but I, I love orbital strike though because i back in the first warhammer drafts people would bring a orbital strike and then they'd be like okay i have lethal on the table by more than enough i just need to roll 25 percent of my guys and roll and they'd lose all their stuff and then the next game, I would roll my orbital strike, and all my stuff would come off roses, and I'd be like, "Ha ha, you're dead." So, <laughs> Lucky, it's very nice to me. <laughs> Lucky Lucan, yeah, you were really good. That orbital strike hates me for some reason, but uh... <laughs> I, mean, I mean, that was the thing about that card is if you lose, you lose everything. But yeah. if you if you win, you do tons of damage, and you get all your guys on the field still. So. Oh yeah, and it's one of the great hail mary cards, right? You're you're <laughs> dead. You've got nothing. Orbital strike for the win, please. <laughs> <laughs> But, but I'm looking at your, your team here, and it's great to look, kind of look back at these things now, because Iceman has obviously made his presence felt for a while now, because we just finally got to rotation again. So he's been mm-hmm. alive since way back before summer of 2019. But I'm looking at the, your team that you brewed here, and it was simil- similar a little bit in, to Craig Hubner's team. I think the two of you were kind of like circling around the same yeah, tables, well, most, around 10 by uh, 10 yeah. and stuff, and maybe you guys kind of came up with the same idea. I don't know. Yeah, I, well... I basically stole the the main premise of the team from him and added a few tech pieces. Yeah, well, it's it's a really solid team. It's it's got the one cost Chewinga, you know, the four cost Iceman with you know when he takes damage during the attack step, he deals two damage to the target opponent. You had the Hulk, the six cost Hulk, power of attorney, mm-hmm. who says when one of your character dice is damaged and she's at her top level, she deals two damage to the opponent. So you could be pinging Iceman and dealing four damage if you have Hulk out as well. You got Shriek, you got Mjolnir to get the bolts, you got Techno to get more bolts, you got Ring of Winter on here to get Hulk, I'm assuming, cheaper yeah. with a bolt, and then Clayface to, you know, get Clayface to get more bolts. <laughs> this is like, you know, there's a lot of lightning going on on this team. <laughs> 
I think James Bloor had a team that probably literally grew out of the seeds of this type of team. So it, it, it's solid. And uh, how, how did you find playing it on the day? Was it? It's a bolt team, so it feels like it, it would fit in with your Firefly instincts from way back when. Yeah, ironically, you know, Techno having the the old Iceman global we'd mm-hmm. use that a ton when uh, i mean i used it with green goliath we used it for our bolt ring teams yeah it's just amazing being able to turn all those things to bolt side and when you know the energy fixers came out it was like okay well at least you get a bolt but you know when you can turn them all to bolts it, <laughs> yeah. anything that you need to ping with magic missile it, you know you have a heyday with <laughs> did you, you know, how often comes, did you go for hulk when you when you were playing this i would say about a third of the time, mm-hmm. because as soon as you get Iceman out there, you're spending your bolts on Iceman, yeah. so you really don't have a chance to reach for Hulk unless you've missed your Iceman or you happen to get it on a turn. Right. Because I didn't bring a ton of ramp, but if someone had brought like Heimdall, I might make the reach for it earlier. Right. But yeah, for me, it was more about, I'd rather have two Icemans than an Iceman and a Hulk generally. Yep. The, the, the main downside to this was when you start doing well and you facing the, the better players who know the shenanigans and the things you can do, yep. they would be using some of my tech against me. Yep. They'd be using techno to make bolts so that they could bolt out my shriek right. so that they could shriek my Iceman or that they would just straight up bolt the Iceman before the attack step, kill the Iceman. Yep. Like I said, uh, Dane Loomis, who ended up kicking me out of the top cut, he uh, ended up just yeah playing my stuff really well and playing his stuff as about as well as he possibly could yeah so. dane's no joke he knows his way around the table for sure yeah yeah i'm, I'm here's my second hot take of the day it's a good <laughs> thing that magic missile is no longer in the upcoming modern there's no magic missile in there Iceman, you weren't that fun to have around while you were around <laughs> Well, Iceman's still around. But. He's, he's still, still around. around. And he, you know what? Actually, now he is very welcome at any scene. <laughs> I, I oh, gladly welcome him with open arms. If you want to step up to the creative team building <laughs> challenge of reinventing the Iceman meta with, I guess, more organic methods, <laughs> go for it. <laughs> yeah, Wand at least hurts you a little bit to have to use it, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's great. Um, well, maybe you could set like some infinite pinging machine or something i don't know that'd be cool yeah. or you just get several of the once per turn use a bolt things so that yeah you know, three of your utility cards are to basically become magic missile <laughs> well you know the other thing that i wanted to talk about here because i remember Joni on this tournament ran a mm-hmm. really really cool aggro collector build that was super close to my own heart and yeah. I saw it on the day. We never got to play against each other, but I, no. I, I wanted to talk about that. And I know, Ben, you had said that that build kind of grew out of an earlier build that you had built. Yeah. Can we start with the earlier build and then and, and, and put a pin out and we'll get to talking about Joni's team maybe five minutes down the road, but, but kind of back up and, and kind of take the evolutionary walk through time, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, originally, this team was, I was trying to just get as much direct damage as possible going. Mm-hmm. And the idea being that I always thought if you can have several cards that, that trigger off the same thing, kind of like Hulk and Iceman, yeah. you know, that synergy there. If you can use that synergy, you know, you could be a lot more effective with your cards. So for this team, I basically wanted as much things that are going to be direct damage and trigger off similar things. So we had Jubilee Mallrat, mm-hmm. the two cost while she's active. If you field a sidekick, you do one damage to your opponent. Yep. The idea being you get her right away and then you once again have Professor X, uh, <laughs> yeah. no more Magnus, who's going to make sidekicks. Yep. So at least once on each turn, she's going to be doing damage. 
And then you had Firefly Ted Carson, who, when you roll him, you do damage based on your bolt characters. Jubilee's a bolt. He's a bolt. You know, Shriek is a bolt, who's also on this team. Malekith is a bolt, who is on this team. Yep. Because Malekith pumps up all of your sidekicks and makes them villains. And makes them villains, who works real well with who else? <laughs> uh, Norman Osborn, don't call me Gotti. Yeah. So, yeah, ideally you're getting the damage when you field them, then they're becoming villains, yeah. and then you hit them again with Nobby. But what people don't take into account a lot of times is that extra plus one, plus one with Malekith makes them an actual aggro threat because, you know, you do enough damage and ideally you're summoning up one or two sidekicks every turn. Oh, yeah. So pretty soon you've got a wide <laughs> uh, wall and you can just go around your opponent for those last like four, six, eight combat damage. Yeah, you know, I'm seeing a little similarity too here because... You've got Collector here, and he's awesome, but he's kind of like the Hulk on the other team. He's like, you don't necessarily need him. You Between Malekith and Norman and Jubilee, you may get there before you ever even need to get old Tantalier Tavon. Yeah, in fact, he was the last thing I added to this team. I was just thinking about making a pure, like, how can I beat someone as fast as I possibly can with direct damage? Right. And then I looked at this. I'm like, all of these <laughs> other than Malekith are when fielded. Yeah. So why not put him on there? And and we tested it both ways. And that way, if they do shriek collector early, like mm-hmm. you don't even have to buy him. You can just go hard into Nobby or yeah. basically the fire with this was get Jubilee right away, roll for sidekicks, save up for that collector, and then just, you know, have at it pretty much. Um, but, yeah. you know, Malekith is the next buy just because, you know, he's going to make your Norman Osborn worth it. Otherwise, you know, you're hitting with Firefly for maybe two, three, four at a time. Yep. And when you get him down, you start wearing, you start burning them like that. Those little two, two sidekicks can become real threats pretty quickly, you know? Mm-hmm. So Yeah. Because, I mean, if you spent your time building a wall and you've hit him for six, eight, 10 damage, and then you can even get three characters across their field, it's pretty brutal. Yeah. And plus you had the outsider on this as well. So... One fist on top of one of those is another two damage. So mm-hmm. plus villainous pack for some ramp. So yeah, really synergistic. Sweet team. And and I want to point out to everybody here, there will be team links to all of the teams we've talked about available on the show notes page at rollandthunder.xyz forward slash 210 for season two, episode 10. 211, my friend. Oh my God. <laughs> Season, okay, 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 let me start over. At XYZ forward slash 211 for season two, episode 11. I'm uh, 0 for 2 for good, good link. Time flies when you're having fraud, my good, friend. Good link, good link. Wow, All right, so, so here you've got this team that seems super, super synergistic. And then you went and tried to improve it. So we got to 2019. U.S. Nats, and Joni, you played kind of a, a retooled version of this team. Can you talk us through yeah. that, what was on it, and, and how and why you made the changes that you did? <laughs> Should I tell him, Ben? <laughs> <laughs> well, the reason we made the changes is that we were looking for some key cards, and we couldn't find them. Oh. They were stuck okay. in the storage shed, <laughs> and we couldn't find them. So we're like, okay, what can we do instead? Right. <laughs> Which seems to be our theme, really, when uh. we go to, <laughs> to these things. Necessity so, being the mother of invention, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So we ended up with Atlantis, mm-hmm. which is when you feel the sidekick character die, draw two dice and roll them. So it is a ramp yep. function. And the other thing we switched out was Cree Captain. So I had those two instead of 
Uh, Jubilee and Firefly. And Jubilee Firefly. and Firefly, right. So it's an interesting team with that. If you don't roll your Atlantis, then then it kind of, you know, it, you just yeah. have to adapt with a different. Well, you also had Proton Cannon on here uh, for right. like the fist bump, which I would assume would work great with Cree Captain and yeah. Malicus. So right. this one's got this kind of interesting, it's got burn on it, but it's got a can punch you in the face really hard too, if you're not right. careful. So right. Just depending it, on what you ended up rolling, which for me right. is always, <laughs> is always an issue because <laughs> I never roll what I expect <laughs> I'm going to roll. So. Did you, did you let your rolls dictate whether you're going to go combat aggro or direct damage aggro? Was it your rolls that dictated yes. your choice for the most part? Yes. Interesting. Okay. So can you walk us through how that happened during the day? Your first buy, what would it be Atlantis, I'm assuming, or, or what? Yeah. You would buy Atlantis first. Okay. And then I think, think depending on what they had on their team whether you wanted to shriek early or not if you didn't then i think malekith was the next and collector right right and if my memory serves me correctly you kind of got unlucky against ben say it's mm-hmm. scott and he was yeah. able to mimic <laughs> your collector and, and and they both rolled character and suddenly he had a collector right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. well that's it. Is so. a dice game after all, yeah, it is a dice game. Yeah, <laughs> and that's the difference between coming in eighth and ninth sometimes. Yeah, you know? right. Yeah. <laughs> so. Well, and and that's also why people, myself included, love to use that mimic because, I mean, sure, it's guaranteed removal, but half the reason anybody uses that card and they're lying if they tell you otherwise is because it's super exciting to see both the characters <laughs> come up and be like, "Ha! I stole your thing. It's mine." Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's what my rainbow draft had a mimic on it. Oh, sweet. Yeah. So that was one of those things that, oh, yeah, I just stole your thing. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's so fun. So so you would go for Atlantis, try to roll for sidekicks or Professor X and some sidekicks. And would you go right for collector then generally if you had your druthers or? or, Yes. Yeah. Okay. Collector first. Mm -hmm. If if you can get it, the next one. Right. If you can't, then Malekith. Malekith or Shriek, depending on what you saw across the table. Table, yeah. Right. Interesting. And the Creek Captain, I'm sure, helped you get there, right? Yeah. I didn't get it very often. Uh-huh. Just because usually the, the engine worked well enough with Norman Osborne and, yeah. you know, with the collector pulling in Norman Osborne, usually. And Malik and sidekicks. Yeah. Yeah. That gets ugly but, fast. Yeah. Both yeah turns, you know, if right? you if you have those days, which I had, then mm-hmm. Creek Captain, yeah, for the big punchy through (laughs) sometimes you gotta get desperate yeah yeah (laughs) between rounds this was obviously like a hybrid creation a co-creation between the two of you what is your strategy between rounds do you guys get together and powwow and talk about what's happened and and kind of re-strategize in terms of coming up how how do you guys handle it in a tournament you know as as compatriots so to speak for, usually we just like, hey, how'd you do? You know, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But if I find something that I it really stumps me right away, then I'll try and go pick Ben's brain because it's like, okay, this clearly tilted my world. And so I was not able to play the way I wanted to. What would you do in that situation? Right. You know, for him, it's like, hey, good job. <laughs> <You know? laughs> like, he, he gives me much more advice than I give him. So. <laughs> Well, you know, you guys both have had tons of experience at this point, so I'm sure. And having played against each other a lot by this point, you probably yeah. know 
kind of your strengths and weaknesses and probably right. can give good feedback, I'm assuming. That's why I yeah. asked the question. Yeah. You know? I mean, once in a while, I'll be like, I saw this play, and Ben will be like, oh, that's a good idea, you know? Right. <laughs> it's like, okay. Right. So. Oh, that's cool. All right. Well, let's talk about, and you, at the beginning of, the, of, of our talk, you had mentioned that you had just dove into WWE. And part of the reason I really want to have you guys on and talk about, besides just your charming, lovely personality, <laughs> is is like you guys have a kind of seems like an natural affinity for the aggro style. And the WWE, you know, having played it a few times now, it is a you know rack them up and start punching kind of thing. Right. And uh, <laughs> that's so pretty I thought, much what he's been doing to me is punching my lights out. <laughs> so. Yeah. So y you brewed a team last night. You want to talk about it? And maybe you can tie it into some of the themes we've been talking about earlier in the day. So, uh, yeah, ben, do you want to? Uh, I just figured since we were going to be on, it might be worth you know, looking and seeing. You know, if I was going to make an aggro team based on what what I've seen in the set, what would I do? And um, the clear star of this is Becky Lynch, made in <laughs> Ireland. Who, yeah. is, for those who don't know, is a five cost shield with overcrush. And when you field her, she's similar to the AVX Storm yeah. Wind Rider. So when you field her, you choose two opposing superstar dice. Your opponent re-rolls them. If they're energy, they are sent to the use pile, and your opponent takes one damage. Otherwise, they put them back in the field where they were. Yep. But she, I mean, I think I was looking <laughs> yeah. at it, and I think she has the best stats in the new set, not just for the cost, but in general. I think they're, you know, yeah, seven I mean, costs who don't have stats as good as she has. Yeah, there was a game the other night I was I had seven energy and I'm looking at the two and I'm going, hmm, well, Becky or Rock. <laughs> Rock's got a good ability, but I can Becky the Becky, you know, so yeah, it's hard first, to walk away from her, right? Yeah, at first I was thinking about just throwing the four cost on here, just having a four yeah. four cost Hulk essentially with overcrush on your team. Yep. Yeah, um, it was at a recent event where the the, the rules for playing was it was uh, half of your team had to be from Trouble in Waterdeep, half had to be from WWE, okay. and I had like built this cool fire off build where you use the shields from the Silger, combo that with the Kurt Angle Global. It was a tag out team and I was actually pretty mm -hmm. proud of it. I was like, this is cool. And I was like, well, you know, just because it makes things faster, speeds things up a little, I'll put Becky Lynch on, but I won't <laughs> buy her. But just on her own, without really any of the other things that made a team work, I was able to just use it. Because it's like four, it serves four functions in yeah. one card. Like, mm -hmm. yeah, she's just crazy. Usually you're like, well, I have to fill my, my removal spot and I have to fill my backup wing condition spot and my ramp spot and my economy <laughs> spot. And, and just if there are any other spots, which I forgot, like there's a good chance that she can function for that spot, too. Right. Yeah, I mean, she, there isn't a version of her that, that isn't good in some way. And in fact, I, you know, mm -hmm. I was kind of sad looking at how good she was and how mediocre Ronda Rousey was kind of by comparison. <laughs> yeah. 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 I know if you're, if you're a WWP fan, a lot of times cards don't compare realistically to the characters in real life, <laughs> even in superhero comics, but uh, boy, this card is good, right? You know, well, I don't know. I think that it's more transparent in, in this set, especially than other sets past, but you can see it in other sets past that, there's clearly the people at WizKids have they 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 have the people who they enjoy reading or watching or whatever and those are the people <laughs> they give powerful abilities because <laughs> I don't know a lot of the older people from the WWF they just don't have as strong abilities I mean Macho yeah. Man's out here with some of the most pathetic abilities in the set <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> nothing against yeah, Becky Lynch and, of and course, the fact but... that they don't even have Ultimate Warrior in the set just yeah. I mean, 
I think I it was. Cry. I think they're gonna. I think they were holding him in abeyance for the next version of the. Uh, the okay. If they do a WWE two, I think they've got Warrior, and I think they'll have the Giant. And they've got uh, what Mysterio, Ray, Ray Mysterio, Mysterio, possibly as oh, yeah. well. So you know, I'm hoping that if there is a second set, those guys <laughs> will see the light of day. You know. <laughs> But okay, so Becky Lynch is yeah, the superstar so, of you on this build. So, here. so she, she's the linchpin, and the other kind of big hitter. I think you mentioned uh, the Rock Attitude Eric icon, yeah. Because I mean, first of all, he's actually got an ability on him which makes him reachable, mm-hmm. uh, and makes Becky Lynch just like super, super reachable. Easy. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> when I was thinking between the four and the five cost, I figured, well, with that Rock ability, mm-hmm. again, if you're playing aggro, generally you're kind of aggressively rolling for sidekicks anyway, so yep. odds are you're going to have characters that you're not too hurt about sacrificing. And especially I, we played with him, or I played against him just before I made this team, and he gives you one of those really hard choices Oh yeah, where, you know, do you let him through, you know, knowing that he's going to potentially take out everybody, your characters, <laughs> or do you throw people in his way and then they're probably still going to be get taken out right? because, you know, you have Jerry Lawler Global which yeah. doubles his attack, all of a sudden he's hitting you for 14. Like, how much can of that can you block? Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's rare that these games are going to time a lot of times now. You know? Yeah. No, but it's, it's interesting, though, because there are very few cards left in the game which just give, like, universal buffs to all your characters. In fact, there's only one that I can think of in the entire game, and it, it historically hasn't been super meta, although I do enjoy playing with it, and that's the Lord of Contagion. But... The bottom line is there are all these super powerful cards, but there's not a, a lot of great utility. So the games, they don't go to time, but they aren't usually over way too quickly. That's there's, true. There's room. Yeah. You can get a sort of consistent turn four, but that means that your opponent has a turn three where you have no idea what's going to happen there. And I think that's a sign of a very healthy meta because these games are usually lasting 20 minutes, which is kind of like this sweet spot. Yeah, I don't mm-hmm. think it's actually that. I'm not, I'm not even saying that's in a bad way. But uh, so we got Becky Lynch, we got The Rock, and who else yeah. is on this killer brew? So like I said, uh, our basic actions: uh, Jerry Lawler, because I mean that's just incredible. <laughs> that's the win condition is you yep. hit him with Overcrush, Becky Lynch, or The Rock. But then yeah. also Booker T, ringside announcer. <laughs> yeah. That's an action you actually buy and use, which is pretty unusual for me. Yep. Oh yeah. <laughs> but essentially, yeah, you get to declare who you want blocking your attackers mm-hmm. and. Yeah, you know, when you can throw one sidekick in front of Becky Lynch, who's an eight-eight, <laughs> and all of a sudden they're taking fifteen damage from one card. Yeah, yeah, and it's got it's, that force uh, block global on it too. Even if you don't yeah. even buy the action, you know. So it's there's there's one thing that you've <laughs> got to be especially careful of though when you put Booker mm-hmm. T and Jerry Lawler on the same team. A lot of other people that you see are also going to be playing Becky Lynch. Honestly, I wouldn't be surprised to, to, to use the word most other people. Yeah, but at that point they can just use your stuff too. But I mean, if you can use it better, absolutely go for the gusto. Like, that is a very, very potent combo. Yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. And uh, then you have the Eddie Guerrero, the Mm -hmm. I Steal, because it essentially functions like Doom Caliber Knight used to, where when you go to that attack phase, any energy that they're holding for, like, transfer power, for Jerry Lawler on the defensive side, for anything that's going to stop combat damage from doing damage, you just get out of their field. Yep, see a static field, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, I mean, that kind of shuts down the whole global phase during combat. And I like your addition. You had a Sasha Banks on here, the infiltrate yeah. version of her, who's got a really cool win ko ability on her, too. Can you talk about that card? Because I think that's a good card that I think people haven't talked about very much. Yeah, so Sasha Banks, she has infiltrate to start with. She's a two-cost shield character. And her stats are like, I think she's got one, two, three mm-hmm. on her attack. So she can actually be a fairly decent attacker. Yeah. But it's one of those 
again, with aggro, you want to attack every turn. She's going to attack every turn because either they take damage, two or three, yep. or they take the infiltrate damage, or they knock her out, and then you get to prep a die from your back. So she becomes ramp. Right. And she's a shield, you know, right? Which who helps yeah. you buy that Becky. So there you go, right? Yeah, she helps with, with that. And, you know, it's something I even forget about Becky is she, that she has the Rip Hunter global mm-hmm. on her as well. So even if you never buy her, she's doing you a favor. And she actually goes particularly well with Bobby Heenan, the weasel. Yeah. So so Bobby Heenan, the weasel, two cost mask. <laughs> I think a one one two attack stats, zero zero one fielding cost, I think. And when he rolls Anytime during this turn, if your opponent declares a blocker, they have to pay one life. Yeah. So that's one life per blocker, but it also says on the card it's one life per Bobby die yep. that you've rolled. Yep, yep, yeah. It's not even so pay, it's just they just lose it. So it's not even a pay thing. So, oh, yeah. They so lose you life. field them, they lose life if they block. So mm. yeah, I just so realized they're like she- one slight one slight issue with this team. Mm-hmm. Since you can't force your opponent to pay a cost. No. If they yeah. use Kevin Nash on themselves, yeah, or if that's you play Booker T and then you try to Kevin Nash him or Bobby Heenan, Bobby Heenan him, you've got to like pick: do you want Bobby Heenan damage, or do you want to be able to like force them to block how you want? They you, they could get tricky and yeah. play a Kevin Nash on, on their own characters yeah. to prevent them from blocking. <laughs> so, but no, but it's even worse, right? Because it allows them to block and not have to pay the tax, right? Yeah, true. Yeah, because then they can get out of blocking and. Yeah. Mm, interesting. Yeah. Well, at that point, yeah, you're just paying a fist not to have to block. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's still waste. They're still wasting their energy. But... Yeah. I mean, so there's definitely things if, if people aren't paying attention, but also being able to pay that fist so that your opponent yeah. has to pay the two life if they want to block. Yeah. So that works more with the rock, like if you're sending the rock through. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, well, if you want to block him, you're going to have to pay life. <laughs> and if you don't, all your guys are dead. Yeah, exactly. So, oh, yeah, it's mean. So I kind of have a couple different things here. I definitely would retool it. If there was another set, Certainly, I would take out a couple of these and, and switch them. But like sure. Bobby Heenan, the Weasel with uh, Sasha Banks, like if for some reason you're having trouble going and you can only afford like a two cost at a time, yep, those two work really well together because either you take a damage from blocking or you take damage from not blocking. Right, exactly. Yeah, you get the infiltrate damage, and that's really good. I like and again, this team will be up in the show notes, so take a look at it if you're curious about how some of the aggro cards in the WWE set. Bone Thunder XYZ forward slash two les- uh, Oh my god, I messed it up again. <laughs> I was only saying that because I wanted to get it right. <laughs> All right, well, we've come to that area of the show where we do our Hall of Fame. And if you're curious about the rules and the setup of our Hall of Fame, you can check that out at... Rolling Thunder XYZ <laughs> forward slash 211 for season 2, episode 11. No apostrophe, no G. No, you're 0 for 4, my friend. It's HOF oh, for right, Hall of right, Fame. Right. <laughs> At Rolling Thunder XYZ forward slash HOF for Hall of Fame. No apostrophe, no G. But anyway, we, we every time we ask our guests to, to nominate somebody who they think is worthy, a, a semi retired or retired player or contributor to the Dice Masters scene in general, to the what we're calling our Hall of Fame. So, Ben and Joni, I, I, I throw the ball into your court. Yeah, so I uh, I checked with this person before uh, I came today just to see if they, in fact, were semi-retired. That's kind of one of the issues with not having as many competitive abilities. It's hard to tell right. who is actually playing anymore if, <laughs> right. if you're not online. But uh, the person I wanted to nominate was Jared Wood. Awesome. Okay, cool. Uh, 2017. Yeah. Yep. 
uh, US Nats champion, and uh, he was he was the first person from St. Louis that I met, and so he was kind of my in with that group. And the reason I want to nominate him is because he is an incredible pilot. Mm-hmm. I mean, anytime it doesn't matter what kind of team I can be playing a really aggro team where there's you know only three things I can do, or I can be playing a super Johnny team where I'm trying to accomplish <laughs> two three different things to to create a combo that I want to go off. But it doesn't matter what I'm doing. He's always got a counter to it <laughs> and we always go back and f- it's always a brain burner. Yeah. Every game I play with him is exhausting in a good way though, because we're always trying to outthink one another, figuring out what I can do. How can I use my resources in the best possible way in this moment to get advantage? And I mean, it really is exactly the kind of opponent you want to get better at this game yeah. or get better at a game of strategy in general. When we play, if I have a bad roll, he has a bad roll exactly like it afterward. So it's it always it becomes like a chess match where can I play better than him? Generally, the answer was no. He generally played better than I did. But uh, I mean, he's just amazing player, really yeah. gracious guy, and uh, yeah, I, I mean, I definitely think one of the best players who I've ever played with. Yeah, for sure, class act too. That's a that's a great nomination. All right, hey Jody, what do you have you have you got somebody queued up by any chance? Well, I had thought. <laughs> about Craig Hubner, but I think he's still playing. Yeah, he's still he's playing. Still yep, yep. So I'm. Uh, my next thought was Paul Kushner. Okay, sure. So he's just super helpful, not super knowledgeable about the game and about the cards, and just mm-hmm. a really nice guy. The ultimate resource. We call him like the right. living tribunal here. You know, right. he just knows everything about the game. <laughs> Literally wrote the rule book. He's our, that's our... On, on the subject of how many Paul Kushner nominations we've had, one of the people who nominated Nutkey back when wanted to, no- I think it was actually Jordo, wanted to nominate Paul Kushner first. And we told him, no, Paul Kushner's still around. So I, I don't know if I want to take a nomination <laughs> away from Nutkey yeah. and give a nomination to, to Paul Kushner, but I'm. But it, Paul's it, got it, at least it, two here he's now. He's got at least two. Maybe we'll give him 2.5 and not be 1.5. And, and then that, that would work out well. But yeah, yeah. he already has one for another person. And, uh, you know, and, and talking about Paul, like the word gracious, absolutely. Yeah. Like, you know, even when he's ruling against you, you know, he you can tell he's sincere. He doesn't want to burst your bubble. You know? <laughs> yeah. He's just like, sorry, it's not my fault. But these are the rules. <laughs> yeah. and, I mean, he's always going out of his way to help people play if they want to play or do something cool oh for sure oh for sure and and he will take his time to really explain it to you if you've kind of got it if you're stuck on something and it's just not making sense paul will walk you through it and just such a nice guy and really talks talk about knowing the game inside and out yeah paul's great except for that one uncommon thanos ruling i mean what a (laughs) stand-up guy <laughs> Luke, you can't let that one go. That was one of my favorite cards. <laughs> All right. Well, guys, we've come to that moment of the show. Is there anything else that uh, we failed to mention or that you'd like to shout from the rooftops, so to speak? It's just been a pleasure to be on and oh. be asked. So thanks. Yeah, uh, I, the only thing I'd say is, you know, we've talked a lot about kind of competitive, competitive scene. Yeah. And uh, this is one of those games that, I mean, really everyone is so great. It's the only game I think I've ever played where I feel bad about beating people. Mm. And, you know, especially playing aggro, you know, <laughs> right. the, the cards can be aggro, the dice are aggro, the players are never aggro. They, right. uh, they're about the chillest people. And uh, I'm really glad that, you know, you're doing this podcast and uh, you know, bringing us all together. Oh, my, my, my great pleasure. And that's the other thing. It is that we were talking competitive, but I, I also want to take a moment and just say, especially during these times, you know, where we're 
self-isolating, et cetera, et cetera. You know, this is a game and it's supposed to be fun. And it's really important to try to keep it fun. So, you know, as much as is having big competitive tournaments, it's good to just also have some loose kitchen table kind of let's try something goofy times as well and, and keep it mixed up. And especially during these times, I think, you know, focusing more on fun might be a, a way to help alleviate some of the stress that's out there that I can, it seems to be permeating everywhere right now, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, if you're, if, if you got laid off or whatever, I mean, now is a great time to practice. <laughs> I know that you two in particular are more busy than ever, but I guess I got laid off from school. Is that a thing you can say? Well, <laughs> you're still, he's, he's, he's doing, he's doing do the online, online thing. Yeah. I, I had yeah. like a week off from that and that was a good time to, to practice stuff. So if you're wondering what you should be doing with your time, get away from your screens and play some Dice Masters. <laughs> well, some dice. Thank you guys so much for coming on and talking to us today and bringing a smile to our face, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, thanks for having us. And, you know, now's the best time to get involved in online play if you, you know, if you have to have those screens, like, uh, might as well Absolutely. You know, have some human interaction with it. Absolutely. And now that you said that, there's a, at the Dice Coalition, there's a whole section on online play there's a whole page about online play if you're curious about learning how to do it i would recommend going and checking that out i'll throw a link to it in the show notes as well and uh, has all kinds of recommendations about cameras and how to do it and etiquette and all that kind of stuff that i know kind of are stumbling blocks to people a lot of times but the the dice coalition has an excellent site on that and also true mr six has been doing a thing called cribs which is video of people had their own camera setups and stuff so i'll throw links in the show notes for that as well so if people are curious about how to do it uh, hopefully those two sites can help get you going I'm a bull and bohormawak. It's Dokogawil. But before we sign off, we should give a thanks to our Patreon supporters and those of you who are kind enough to give us a rating and a review. Yeah, and you know, if you feel like giving us a review right now, I've heard that Podchaser is donating 25 cents to first responders out there for every positive review. So you can help the world and help us at the same time. <laughs> Shall we hit it and quit? Let's hit it and quit. All right. Be safe out there, everyone. Augusta Sulagan go jiffy mid shiv. Holu Agus is fager. Good night. Augusta Well, that's the end of Turn 5, my friends, and it's time for the final clear. We hoped you enjoyed today's show. You can find us at rollinthunder.xyz, without a G or an apostrophe, where you'll discover all the links necessary to listen or subscribe to the show. You can also reach us by email at arge or lucan at rollinthunder.xyz. Our theme music was created by Jesse Weiner. We're in no way affiliated with WizKids, other than we love and celebrate the game of Dice Masters. So keep on rolling, August Narlagajia the Lao. We'll be talking again in two weeks' time with another guest. So stay tuned. Enough said. I use Jerry Lawler's Global to double Thanos' damage, assuming no other ability affects. I attack. Stop laughing at me. <laughs> I attack Thanos. <laughs> Not a good idea, my friend. <laughs>